0: Good morning, church. Morning. My name's Jerry. Um, I'll be bringing the Bible reading today. Before we get to the last reading of the series in Job, um, please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray now as Iggy brings us the word to us about Job and that we may live lives that worship you in everything that we do. Lord, help us as we listen to your word, and we pray that you deliver us from conforming to the patterns of this world, um, even in the midst of our suffering. Lord, we pray that you may renew our minds and hearts as we hear today's message, and we ask that you may, God, his heart as he preaches and ministers to both to us and himself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the Bible reading for today is in Job chapter 42, verse 1 to 17. So, that's Job chapter 42, verse 1 to 14, uh, 17, sorry. Starting at verse 1. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. After the Lord had said these things to Job, He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayers and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nahumathite did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before Came and ate with him in his house. They com- comforted, comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had fourteen thousand sheep, six thousand camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter He named Jemima, the second, Keziah, and the third, Kerenhapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived a 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, friends. Uh, I hope you've been challenged, encouraged, uh, grown through the Job series. I know personally I have, as I've dug deep into this book than I've ever dug in before. Um, and God's really shown me so many great truths about himself and about this life that we live in. And um, you know, isn't it amazing that uh, he doesn't leave us alone to navigate the struggles of this world? Uh, he, he shows us uh, what it means and what purpose there is in it. Uh, as we conclude this series, friends, um, I, I want to start. There's a, a really important question that came in through the slider today, and it's this: um, My mental health past means I can't mentally face suffering head-on. It's too debilitating and destructive. The pit only goes deeper. How am I supposed to embrace it? Uh, thank you for sending in this question, whoever you are, and you know you are obviously suffering a lot. And I think this is another reminder of just the brokenness of this world and what we face in terms of uh, mental health and the suffering that brings. And um, I know there's people in this church that go through that every day. Uh, I think the thing I'll say to you and to everyone who's in this situation is um, the important thing is not to do it alone. Yeah? Don't do it alone. Um, God never meant for us to suffer alone. Uh, we've seen that throughout the series. Uh, we suffer, uh, even as Felicia was talking about. Um, first and foremost, we come to him. Bring our prayers to him, bring our burdens to him, bring our laments to him. You aren't alone in this. You aren't supposed to face it alone. Um, But he's also put uh, people in our lives that can help. Uh, The first is medical uh, professionals. Uh, So GPs and psychologists have such an important role to play here in terms of helping with mental health and do not feel ashamed to seek that help out. Um, you know, Lee Cheng and I have both seen psychologists in the past that have been so helpful. I know there's many uh, people in this church that have also done that, and that's been so, such a blessing and a help to them. Uh, God's put people in our life to help us in these situations. So uh, health professionals, very important if you're suffering with mental health, uh, to seek that out. Um, but also the church community, you know, we have each other, yeah? We're here to bear each other's burdens, to love one another and to be there for one another. And in these situations, the best thing, actually, is to have good friends. Um, maybe better than Eliphaz and Bildad and all that, you know. Um, friends that can just sit with you and be with you and support you. Um, so I think that's a call for the church community to step up in those situations. But if you're in this situation, please know uh, the best thing to do is not to do it alone. Yeah? I think that's really important. And just understanding, I acknowledge this is so hard. It is so hard. Um, but with one another... We can help to lighten that burden and help each other take a step forward. Yeah? So thank you for that question. Okay. Um, I hope you had a good discussion about that question, what do you think matters most to God? That's a really important question to ask because how you, what you think about God, what you think matters most to God, what, what your view of God is will actually shape your expectations of the Christian life. Uh, So think about this. If you think what matters most to God is your happiness, for example, then what's your expectation of the Christian life? That your life will be happy. That your life will be filled with prosperity, blessings, good health, and nothing will ever be wrong again. Because that's what you expect of God. That's what you think matters most to Him. If you think what matters most to God is morality, being a good person, you know that's what matters most to God, then your whole life will be shaped around behaviour, Moral behaviour. You'll spend your life trying to do good things, good deeds, and you know that's what will drive you because you think that's what matters most to God. If you think what matters most to God is religion, religious practice, then you will really uphold your church attendance, but maybe the rest of your life doesn't really get a look in that situation. You think that will be enough. Do you see how what you think of God reshapes your expectations of the Christian life. What you think matters most to God actually changes how you live your Christian life. Uh, Let me tell you those views that I just put forward to you, they're wrong. They're, They're just wrong. That's not what the Christian life is about because that's not what our God is about. So what does he care about the most? Friends, it's really important that we get the answer to this. Because this will reshape our expectations of the Christian life. And only then will we be prepared for this journey called life. Especially through the trials. Especially through the hardships. Which is why I want to invite you today to come with me to God's Word as we conclude the book of Job. And where our first point is this, the final verdict. For those of you who are just joining us today, it's wonderful uh, that you've come to CP today. You hear God's Word. i just catch you up. The book of Job that we're going through is a book of uh, a man who's suffering. A man who's suffering greatly, a man who is innocent. He's a righteous man, yet everything has been taken from him. It is a test to see whether he will stay faithful to God or reject Him in the face of this suffering. And all throughout this book, what's Job been doing? He's been calling God to show up. Show up! Because he's been on trial. He's been accused over and over by his friends of sin. They're saying, that's the only explanation for your suffering. You're a a sinner. You're a secret sinner, Job. Stop hiding it. But Job has been emphatically defending himself. I am innocent. He wants God to show up to vindicate him, to clear him of his guilt in this courtroom. And we saw last week, God did show up. And he comes with a series of speeches reminding Job that not only that, that He is the only sovereign God of the universe, and Job is not. Job is rebuked for forgetting his place, for demanding things of God that he should not have, and he is humbled and falls down on his face in repentance and worship in awe of who God is. But did you notice throughout all that, God has not actually declared his verdict yet? What is the verdict in Job's trial? Well, come with me, open up, keep your Bibles open. I hope you had them open. Job 42, that's where we're going to be spending our time. So Job 42, if you don't have a Bible, you can share with a neighbour or just listen along. Job 42, verse 7. Have a look at, with me at verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I'll accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Here's the verdict. The friends are wrong. Job is right. That's the verdict. It says so twice. It's crystal clear job is finally vindicated but hang on didn't God just lay the smackdown on job last week for saying the wrong things about him Do you did you realize that like there's a bit of confusion what's going on here well I think we need to go right back to the start of the book where we see God's assessment of job it's coming up on the screen here job 2 verse three have you considered my servant job there is no one on earth like him he is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity. All throughout, this is what Job's been saying, hasn't he? That his suffering is not because he's a sinner. He hasn't done anything wrong. And here at the end of the book, we have confirmation from God that Job has been correct. His suffering is not his fault. Job has spoken the truth, which means Job was also correct, in insisting that God doesn't always work on a strict mechanical application of justice like his friends have been saying. This has been their argument. Remember, this, this has been their argument. All right. That God is just, so therefore, he rules the world according to justice. And the conclusion, the only conclusion, is this, that Job must have sinned. He must have sinned. This is just how God works. He, this, there's no question about it. And So you must have sinned. But God says to them... You have not spoken the truth about me. And the friend speaking wrongly of of God is a serious matter. I want to note here, um, as God says that the friends have not spoken the truth about him, and Job has, that that's not a sweeping statement to say everything they've said has been right, either of them. You know, There's some points where the friends actually do say good and right things about Job. Um, about God, sorry. And there's other points where Job has said things which are not good about God. Uh, but as a whole, this is the conclusion that w- of what God thinks of them. Um, to Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar, Job's friends have said right and good things about God sometimes, but we know actually their f- error is much more serious than Job's. Why? Because God explicitly says this, I am angry with you and your two friends. Did you notice that? He says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. And he goes on to demand atonement, a sacrifice so that they can be forgiven. This is not a requirement for Job. This is only for their friends. They need to sacrifice so their sins can be forgiven. What was so serious about this sin? Sorry, that was the last verse, yeah. This is what their problem was. Their problem was that they had reduced God down to a system. They had reduced God down to a predictable God, confined to a fixed formula. They had tried to put God in a box. And it seems there's a deeper problem behind them doing this. Because you see, friends, um, uh, these friends of Job, they had a theological system, right? But they actually had no relationship with God, the God behind their system. Did you notice throughout this story, um, there's a narrative as uh, this, it, it's told throughout Job. For their friends, there's no real longing for God. There's no real awe of God. There's no real wonder of God. No yearning for God. Did you get, did you get a sense of that? What they were concerned about was being right about God all throughout. That was, that's their argument. As commentator Christopher Ashe puts it, um, for them... He is a dead doctrine and an abstract theory. A dead doctrine and an abstract theory. Job's friends, they want a system. They want a system that can explain things that they can neatly fit God into, that works and they can be right about. They want a system, but Job, he wants God. You may have noticed around Job that even at his worst times, Job longs for God. Job 19 is a prime example of this. As he finishes one of his most intense laments to God, but he finishes with this. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. How my heart yearns within me. You see, God declares uh, that Job's friends had spoken wrongly and Job, and Job had spoken rightly of God. And I think it's not only because of the content of his speech, Job was indeed innocent, yeah, that's clear, but because of the heart behind the speech too. This is why Job spoke rightly. Because in the end, in the midst of all his complaints and confusion, he was never content with a formulaic system to be his God. He longed for God himself. He longed for the very presence of God. And we see that fully expressed as he humbles himself at the end of these speeches, deeply, in greater awe and worship of God than ever before, after the speeches. So, what happens next is the friends. They go on, they make the sacrifices to God. Uh, Job prays for them. Just as God has demanded, Job's had an important role to intercede for them. In Job 42 verse 10, have a look at verse 10 with me in your Bibles. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The final part of Job gives a picture of incredible prosperity for Job, a restored whole whole relationship. Uh, as his friends and family do not despise him anymore as they used to, but they come back and they come close to comfort him. Um, It's a picture of uh, material wealth that you you can't even comprehend. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, 1,000 donkeys. Even in today's economy, if you had that amount of animals, you'd be rich, wouldn't you? Yeah. If you had 14,000 sheep, I don't know why you would, but you'd be rich. But back then, this was insane wealth. This was a sign of incredible blessing. What else? Seven sons, three daughters, children. In God's economy, this is a sign of great blessing. But why did God do this? Why did he bless Job in this way at the end? It wasn't because this was the incentive Job needed for him to come back to God. Remember, he humbled himself and repented before he got all of this, before he knew this was even coming. He didn't come back to God because he wanted health, wealth, and prosperity. And this didn't happen because Job earned it. This was never the plan for the test that he would be rewarded for passing. God did this purely as a sign of his grace. It's his grace. It was a gift for Job. And as we end this book, the final words are this in verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years... He saw his children and their children to their fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. And we see Job's story concludes, indeed, with a happily ever after. But what can we learn as we conclude this epic narrative? Oh, I think I lost the slide, but the next point is The greatest treasure, if you want to write that down. Yeah, the greatest treasure. Thanks, Jack. (laughs) Let me ask you something. Um, What do you value most in your life? What do you value most in your life? Is it your wealth? Is it your comfort? Is it your freedom? Is it your reputation? Is it your friends? Is it your family? How do you know what you value most? Well, one test is um, you know you value these things the most because if they're gone, then you're incredibly upset. You are very angry. But most of all, you feel lost. Life becomes something with no purpose, no meaning, if these things are gone. My friends, I want you to look at Job. All of these things are stripped away from him, every single one of them health com- wealth comfort freedom reputation friends family all these things he had nothing yet he still had everything because he still had God and God was enough for him this was his treasure when we look at job we see a story of a man who started with incredible prosperity who lost it and initially continued praising God right job 121 um, Job one twenty one says this, I'll just read it to you. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Right. This is just when he lost everything. He's praising God. But as the suffering continued, we see a man who goes through the valleys of darkness. Darkness we can only imagine. We see a man who sometimes forgot his place, who demanded things of God that he shouldn't have, because the storm was so painful for him. We see a man then emerge from the other side, more blessed than He did when he started. And as he emerges from the other side, he is better off than at the start, more blessed at the start. And I'm not talking about the wealth he received, the comfort, the freedom, the reputation, the friends and the family that gets restored and even doubled at the end. That's not why he's more blessed. I'm talking about something incredibly, immeasurably better, the greatest treasure. And that is this. It's a deeper relationship with God. Nothing is more important than this. Nothing's more important than this. Friends, do you value your relationship with God more than anything else? Well, you should, because this is what matters to God. This is what matters to Him. This is what God cares about more than anything. This is why He sent Jesus Christ into the world, to restore the relationship broken by sin between us and our Father God. He wants a relationship with us, His children. But He doesn't want us to have an abstract, distant relationship with Him. He doesn't want us to have an academic, theological relationship with Him. He wants us to have a deeply satisfied, close relationship with Him. This is what we're made for. Remember our rest series? This is what it means to be at rest, to be in a deeply satisfied relationship with God. This is what matters to Him. So this is what should matter to us. And I can guarantee you, that by the end of this journey, Job knew God more deeply than he did at the start. I guarantee you that. Not just knew about God, but knew God. Because in the midst of his suffering, when he didn't have anything left, all he had was God. And he learnt to hold on to God more deeply, more tightly, more closely than he has ever held on to him before. Lately, I've been trying to do a little bit of exercise. You might be able to tell I'm massive now. Um, I've been going to to Eric and April's house. I know some of you also attend that home gym on occasion. I won't point you out. I told Eric that he should put a scoreboard on the wall of all the CPE people. and it's great because Eric actually keeps me accountable. He tells me to come, otherwise I'll literally not, not do any exercise whatsoever. On Monday, I was there with Jane, me and Jane, uh, a bit of friendly competition. So uh, we were over there and Eric made us do an exercise. He made us do an exercise where uh, we had to get, get the bar and we had to put weights on it. We had to hold it for as long as we could, right? It was a, it was a grip strength exercise. Uh, I went, I'm not embarrassed to say I didn't last very long. Okay, I couldn't hold the bar very long. My, I, I held it on, my grip started shaking, and I, you know, let go. Um, and the bar fell down. It was so hard. It was, like, very, very difficult. Um, but I've no shame in telling you that because I've never done anything like that before in my life. I've never been forced to test my grip before. I, I barely used those muscles. So, of course, I was weak. But let me tell you something. Job's grip muscles, they weren't weak. He went through a lot of reps of holding tightly to God with the hardest weights that you could possibly imagine. Suffering. And as he did them over and over and over again, he got stronger. He didn't let go. He learnt humility. He learnt dependence. He learned to really long for God, to yearn for God. But that came through trial. I came through suffering. And what happened is that Job came out the other end humbled, more dependent, closer to God than ever before. And I think Job would have said that it was worth it because he found the greatest treasure, a deeper relationship with God. Friends, don't you want that treasure? Don't you want a deeper relationship with God? God wants that for you. But it won't be easy. It won't be easy. And the third point I want to point out today is don't be surprised by suffering. As Christians, we should know better than anyone that suffering is a part of our world. Sin has corrupted our creation so much. It's everywhere. So things that are supposed to be good and pa- are not good, they're painful and hard and sad. Sickness, death, broken relationships, they are all around us. We should know this better than anyone. We, we sort of know that we should expect suffering. But somehow, I think when suffering comes knocking on our door, we still say this. When suffering comes knocking on our door, we still say, God, I didn't sign up for this. What's going on? Why did you bring this to me? This isn't what I signed up for when I became a Christian. This isn't part of the deal. But friends, I want you to remember today that suffering is indeed part of the deal. And let me say that this is the case especially for Christians. Especially. Because when you think about Job, it's not a story about suffering in general. It's a story about suffering because you are a believer. Job is suffering because... He has faith in God. Job is suffering because he's singled out as being a true worshipper of God, the most faithful, the most righteous. That's the whole reason he's going through all this. Do you realize that? So friends, as we follow Jesus, we should not expect any less. Let me read this to you. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised Do not be surprised. You know, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. What a profound passage. Do not be surprised. Expect suffering. And here's a big one, rejoice. Why? Because you are participating in the very same sufferings of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the true blameless sufferer. We saw that he suffered with even greater intensity than Job. From Herod's attempts to have him killed as a toddler, to the temptations in the wilderness, to the agony of the cross as he faced God's wrath poured out on him. Jesus suffers more than we could ever know. Temptation, discouragement, loneliness, betrayal, shame, agony. This was the path of our King. He walked that day by day by day. So as his disciples committed to following in his footsteps... Should we expect any less? No. Friends, take heart when you suffer, because this is a sign that you belong to Jesus Christ. Do not be surprised by suffering. This is his path. But remember the treasure that awaits, a deeper relationship with God. Friends, we need to remember that here today we are more privileged than Job was back then because we have Jesus Christ. He didn't have Jesus there. And Jesus is not just an example of suffering. In his suffering, he draws near to us. He steps into our broken world. In his suffering, he empathizes with us. In his suffering, he restores relationship with us. And this is his call to us. Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, Come to Jesus. In your suffering, come to Jesus. When you have nothing left, come to Jesus. He's asking you to. Let us draw near so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the promise. And the more you take hold of this promise, the more you grip onto this promise, the more you hold tightly to this promise. The deeper your relationship with God will become. Our culture celebrates independence. It celebrates standing on your two feet. You don't need anyone else. And of course, there's a there's a certain element that there's truth to this. There's a maturity that comes with dependence. Um, if my baby Maya, I still had to feed her when she was 18. There would be an issue there, you know. Um, but when it comes to God, it's different. We were made to depend on God. Did you realize that? You were never meant to separate yourself from God and be independent. We were made to depend on God because He is God and we are not. He sustains life. He rules with all knowledge. He's all powerful, but so often we forget this and we depend on ourselves only. Even in our suffering, we think we've got to work this out by ourselves. We've got to get through it by ourselves. Let me tell you, I'm the first to admit that I'm guilty of this, of being self-dependent, of not needing God. But friends, God wants to deepen his relationship with you. He wants to show you more of who he is. He wants you to humble yourself and depend on him, to be in awe of him, to trust in him because he is God and we are not. And sometimes, sometimes, Suffering is the only thing that will wake us up to that. That will wake us up from our sinful self-dependence. Friends, suffering comes with purpose to help us draw closer to God. And in Christ, God comes to us. God suffers for us and empathizes with us. And we see God continue to be there for us. Offering help in our time of need every single day. All of this is so that we can persevere right till the end, holding on to God, keeping close to him until Christ returns on that final day. And what a day that will be. We haven't talked much about the new heavens and the new earth in this series, but let me just say a little bit to that. We're heading to a destination that we can't even begin to comprehend. A new heavens and a new earth. A place of eternal celebration. The picture in Revelation is a city of gold. All right? A city of gold. Uh, lush abundance. It's a wedding banquet that doesn't end. I don't know if you've been to wedding banquets, especially Asian ones, that, yep, too much food, you know? <laughs> this is the picture abundance. But here, here's, the, here's the thing no more crying, no more suffering, no more pain. God Himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes it will be gone. The end of Job is just a small reflection of the prosperity that awaits for all those who trust in Jesus. Look at what Job got. That's, that's nothing compared to heaven. We will have real, tangible, enormous blessings that can't be comprehended. A heavenly inheritance with Jesus Christ himself. But let me remind you, what will make heaven heaven? Do you know what makes heaven heaven? It's not those things. It's the fact that we will be in the presence of God. We will see him face-to-face. Face-to-face. That's what makes heaven, heaven. When we reach the end, we will come before the throne of God, we'll see Him face-to-face, we will worship Him, enjoy Him, in intimate relationship, and that, that is the greatest treasure. Friends, our path to this will be hard. Just like our Lord Jesus, He'll be the path of suffering before glory. The cross before the crown. Here's my question. Are you ready for that? Are you prepared? Don't be surprised by suffering. Expect this as a mark that you follow Jesus. And declare to God, not my will, but yours be done. It will be hard, but let me tell you, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. Let me just conclude. The whole book. As we conclude the whole book, let me just say one more thing. Life is a mystery. <laughs> as we conclude the book of Job, uh, you'll see Job is left with many questions. He never actually finds out why he suffered. Did you realise that? We know. He never actually finds out. God never actually tells him. And we're left with many questions too as we conclude the book of Job. What happened to Elihu, that uh, random friend who came at the end? You know? What happened to Satan? These two people are not talked about. There's a lot of mystery. But this mystery reminds us of the purpose of this book. Because this book is a wisdom book. It's a book about how to live rightly in the world. This world created by God. And the key to that, the key to living rightly in the world, get this, is not to know everything, but to know the God who knows everything. That's what true wisdom is. Friends, being wise isn't about having it all worked out. Being wise is about trusting the God who does, the God who is sovereign. And we have to realize this, Job isn't ultimately a book about suffering. It's ultimately a book about God. So when bad things happen, the main question to ask is, is not, why is this happening to me? Of course, bring that question to God. But that's not the main question. Why is this happening to me? But we should be considering this question. How does this help me know my God more? Deeply. When we do that, not only will we be able to persevere, but as we do that, we will bring our sovereign, almighty, powerful God all glory, honour and praise as he deserves, friends. That's what wise living is all about. Let me finish with a quote from Bryson Smith, uh, who's a Christian author. This is what the book of Job has been about right from start to finish. It's about staying close to God and trusting him, even when bad things are happening, because staying close to God is more valuable than not suffering. Let me pray. Our Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, that you have not left us in the storm of suffering without any guidance or help that through the book of Job you have helped us make sense of the storm not because we know everything not because we can figure everything out but that we've had a renewed vision of who you are that you are the God who does know everything the God who is in control the God who is sovereign and what you want from us through all things is simply a deeper relationship with you Father forgive us when we've forgotten you, abandoned you, left you out of the picture. Help us to rely on you, to be in awe of you, to see who you are. Even if it takes suffering to do that, help us see that it's worth it. Give us the strength we need, Father God. All this we pray for your glory. Amen. Let's take a minute just to reflect before we pray.